Welcome back to another episode of the Bodybuilding Down Under podcast. I am DC, one of your four co-hosts, and I am joined by Jack, Lawrence, and DY. Now let's pass the uh, metaphoric mic around and see how everyone is doing. Anything exciting happening over the weekend or over the week in terms of nutrition and training? Let's start with my man, Lawrence. What's going on, man? Mate, I'm very well. I'm very well. Good to see you boys again. It's been a little bit of a tumultuous week, to be honest. As you can probably see behind me, I'm in different surroundings today. So I'm actually staying with my sister and her boyfriend because mom and dad have both come down with the virus, unfortunately. They've just recently come back from Tasmania. So I think they probably picked it up on their travels, but I just thought I'm getting straight out of there. I don't want any of that smoke. So I'm holding out here until probably next Tuesday or so when they're both out of the woods. And yeah, it's just very interesting how your routine just gets completely thrown, like not having your normal places to cook and store all your food and sups and stuff like that. So I was a bit rattled the first couple of days, but we've settled back into a bit of a routine. Also had a bit of like anterior knee pain last week, which was hurting on a few exercises, which was a bit strange. And it's a bit lower down than what I would expect for like patella tendon pain. Like it's right on the bone, which for someone of my age is quite unusual. Like you see that a lot in kids and that sort of thing with like Osgood Schlatter's disease, but a bit weird for someone like me who's pretty much wrapped up any vertical growth. So eh, it's been okay. Like I'm being able to train around it enough and, um, I've actually got legs with one of DY's boys tomorrow morning, uh, Mr. Will. So I'll see how it holds up during tomorrow's session. But overall, it's not really giving me too many worries. So yeah, it's good, mate. We're just doing the do, enjoying the new block, some different movements this time around. So it's been nice to change it up a little bit and do some different stuff. And so far, so good. If my boy out squats you, at least you got the pre-excuse loaded too. So you're ready to Exactly, roll. mate. And to be fair, I think my mind has probably made this pain for me just in case. And I'm sure once I get through the session, it'll probably heal up and it'll go, oh, there's nothing wrong. Yeah, you must not have kept your um, your knee in neutral, in a neutral position, mate. I think so, mate. Two to three degrees of valgus on one of my squat sets last week and it's, yeah. it's blown the thing apart. I heard yeah, exactly. it was the upper back rounding a little bit, pushed the knee a little bit out of line and off it went. Yep. As soon as he was out of that complete, like straight line, it just any deviation of flexion, just immediate injury of the knee. It wasn't even the back, it was the knee. I know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> how bad it is. Stay safe out there, people. It's, it's a freaking wild west out there. Yeah. But no, I can completely relate to you, mate, in terms of the, the routine getting out of whack a little bit. Like the last week, I've been house sitting for my parents and having to train back up at, at Gold's in, in Kippering, which there's nothing wrong with that gym at all. But just, the different routine, the different office that I'm working out of, like just, yeah, completely, completely different. There were little things like I was forgetting my wallet and I was forgetting my keys and I was just like a bit sort of uh, muddled all over the place. So I totally understand that. We're essentially creatures of habit, I guess, at the end of the day, aren't we? What about you, Jack? What's going on, man? Yeah, not too much. Just continuing to settle into the new place and doing just uh, uh, doing a few bits and pieces. I'm not a very uh, DIY kind of guy, so getting some some professionals to build a fence around the property just for the dogs and small bits and bobs like that. Um, Tara and I are also presenting at the, the physique seminar this Sunday uh, with SNA. So we're, we've been practicing our lecture for that. We'll be presenting on uh, the nu nutrition and dietetics component for physique athletes, which should be good. And uh, otherwise like training's going along smoothly just continuing to refine things a little bit at the new gym and uh, body weights. Yeah. Climbing up like I'm around 89 kilos at the moment. So still got a lot of body weight in reserve to, to continue pushing up. Awesome. Man. And you've done obviously some work for SNA in the past in relation to some of their uh, materials, I believe. Yeah. So we presented last year at the same conference and have done a few lectures for them for their courses. Mm. Awesome, man. Fantastic. And DY, what is happening? I actually got one question for Jack. How much are you planning to drive your body weight up? I know that you said that you still got a fair bit left in the tank. What are you planning to get to? Yeah, so I like I took some progress photos this weekend. I'm still, I'm by no means super lean, but I'm not, I don't have a lot of excess body fat. And I got up to around 91 and a half last time. And uh, I, I could have continued pushing further. So I, I want to see like probably 94, 95, which if I go above 94, that'll be the highest I've ever been in body weight. 
I was about to say, I reckon you'd pack on a lot of muscle at 95. I'd be extremely impressed to see that, especially with the condition that, you know, you kind of hold in the off season mm. too. Thank you. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. I'm always blown away that your weights, yeah, where, where it is. Like I, I, in my mind, you're more sitting up towards that 95 already. So yeah, I'm, I am in your, my mind as well. Yeah. And then looking at your body comp, I, I definitely think you've got plenty of room to move in regards to a gaining phase. Mm. Don't be a coward, Jack. Go to 100. <laughs> Come on, mate. Just has to be triple digits. Trips to KFC, you'll be you'll be sweet. I mean, has to DC get to 100. Been to triple digits? I have been to triple digits. Yeah. Oh, goals. Ooh. I have been. wasn't that's wasn't hot. my most favorable body composition, <laughs> that's for sure. But yes, there, there was a time where I was actually got a close up to the 110, and this was like me not caring about my body composition at the time. I was just focus on like power lifts, power lifting, did not care about my body comp and what I look like and took me a good chunk of time to bring, bring that back down. Definitely wasn't advantageous to have my body weight that high. And it got to the point where I was just like, why am I this weight? Like, why have I let myself get to this point? So mm. yes, but I mostly sit, I mean, at the moment I'm sitting at around 95. So I tend to sit, I guess my highest and lowest of like a mini cut weight would be pretty much between like the 90 to the 97 is typically where I tend to oscillate between. That's crazy. I couldn't imagine being a hundred for me. I'd look like Lee priest at the peak dirty bulk. It'd be, <laughs> it'd be nasty for me. It's always impressive when I see someone and they're like super light, but they look really heavy for first one that comes to mind is Josh green. Like whenever I see him, I'm like, man, this guy's got to be like 75 kilos. Cause I competed at 70, but then really is like 65 on stage, 64. It just like blows me away, especially with the amount of muscle that they actually have. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but for me, um, my mum's up this week and next week. She doesn't live in uh, in Brisbane, so she normally comes up. We have like a spare room, so she's getting the full array of bodybuilding cooked meals. It doesn't really deviate too much from that. So lots of chicken, lots of rice, lots of pasta. But no, nah, it's been good. I don't normally see her much, normally like once a year. So it's a good little catch up. Um, funny enough, she actually like tracks all the lifts. I do her programming for her. I don't don't so much do the nutrition, but she comes to me and every time she comes up, she has like a full logbook for the entire year. So I can have like a look at like all these track lifts. It's really funny. Cause you don't normally see it. Like I just could imagine her pulling out a logbook at the gym and recording like all of her hamstring curls and like glute thrust weight or whatever she might be doing. But other than that, man, just been doing the do, uh, ticking the boxes. Progression's actually been really good this week in terms of uh, weight in the gym being moved. I think every session I've pretty much progressed. My injury's getting better and better each week as well. And uh, hopefully soon I'll be uh, completely pain-free and won't need to work around it too much. Fantastic. And then in terms of me over the last week, I mean, as I, as I mentioned before, a bit of, bit of a different um, gym location that I was training at. And within that, there's quite a bit of variance between equipment available at that gym and, and what's at Brendale. So last week of my program was pretty much just changing quite a few movements. So um, to me, that's sometimes an annoyance, particularly if you're really progressing nicely on, on certain pieces. And you have to sub them in and out for other things. Like for example, someone on a piece of equipment and, and you've got a time constraint as to how much you can spend in the gym and you need to kind of sub it out, but that's what it is. And in terms of nutrition, things are very, um, very steady on that front. I'm sitting at around 95 kilos at the moment. So I've got another, probably another two kilos of, of gaining to go until I potentially look at running a bit of a mini cut. So probably looking to implement that mini cut maybe at the end of September. So maybe around this, the time of um, ICE in Queensland, but we'll see how I'm looking at that point in time and whether it's, it's viable to run it then, or, you know, do I have a little bit more in the tank to go in terms of then running that, but I'm quite happy sitting in a higher body fat percentage right now because my, my training's feeling really nice and I'm in no, no means rushing to, to the mini cut marathon to, to get, you know, leaner. Cause I know I'm just going to put it back on again. So <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to, I still haven't reached that body weight where I feel kind of superhuman in the gym. So that might influence me moving forward with AJ, like, especially if I, if I don't compete till 2024, like, is there any point going below 90? If at 90, I feel the best in the gym, like I might just like you hover between 90 to 95 or something or 97, even I'm keen to see how I'm looking at 95. That'll be interesting. Mm -hmm. 
So what's the weight that you get to where you start to feel the, the effects of the diet? Energy starts to decrease a bit. Hunger starts to increase. It's, it's that real like water over stone. I, I, I run a mini cart. I don't feel anything for weeks. And then all of a sudden I'm like, man, I'm starving. Like this is, what the hell, where did this come from? Like last week I was fine. It's just, it kind of hits me. It doesn't even slowly creep in. Mm. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's not, it's more so just the training performance. Like for those bigger lifts, like RDLs and the squat patterns and the pressing, uh, I just feel like if I'm below 90, then there's a big difference than being between 85 and 88 or 89 even. Yeah, for sure. What about you, Lawrence? Were you starting to feel those effects towards the end of your mini cut? Yeah, definitely, mate. And I think quite similar to you, you get through like weeks one to six and you're like, oh, this is a piece of piss. And it doesn't even, you know, you feel like you could do it all year. And then it's like, oh, okay, now I'm feeling like the dip in training performance, bit of fatigue, bit of hunger. I think that for me, like getting up to that sort of, you know, 90 and above for sure is where I'm going to be my best. Like, because I don't have my scale with me, I forgot to pack it. So I don't actually haven't weighed in for like a week or so. But, you know, that 90 is probably when I start to duck below that, I'm going to see a little bit of a decrement in training performance, I think. But, you know, similar to you, I think out of this massing phase, we can probably try to push up to sort of 96, 97, which we did again last time, um, knowing that we're going to have a little tidy up phase around the end of the year before then, you know, gain taining until prep which will start first week of april so yeah it's one of those things where i'm you know like if the the progressions are slow enough i'm still part of me is wondering whether or not i can just stay in a surplus the whole way but you know if, if joey thinks it is going to be the best thing to do a small tidy up phase just for like four weeks or three weeks like something close to what jack did earlier in the year then obviously i'll go with him on that mm. yeah i was kind of like pre-planning out uh, so I've had some recent competitors join join um, BK Conditioning and we've just sort of been planning out obviously the, the pre-prep phase, how many weeks out we've got before people would start commencing their prep for season B. And you've, yeah, you've basically got sort of four, four five, six months around that time frame before you would, you would commence depending on if you start it, you know, 30 weeks out, 25 or obviously 20 weeks out. What's, what's the projections in regards to your prep coming up? How many weeks out are you starting? How many, how many weeks are you giving yourself? So we're going to go 23 weeks from show one, which I'm pretty happy with considering I think that's what we had. Like, I believe we started off 25 weeks out last time, but we ended up jumping into the INBA show, which was two weeks earlier. And I was like, oh, Joey, like, do you think that, you know, are we going to have enough time? And he's like, well, you know, I bloody hope so. Like you want to be in by that point. So I think 23 weeks will be good. You know, I thought my conditioning was very good the whole way through like it wasn't like there's was any warm-up shows last year so 23 weeks till tropics and then hopefully just keep getting better from there and you know all going to plan will be tropics brisbane and then wherever nationals is hopefully it's local and then WNBF worlds yeah for sure actually i want to get your thoughts on on something this is all all three of you and it's that that premise of you know achieving 100 conditioning and for, uh, for show one. And I feel like there's almost a bit of a distinction between perhaps the seasons here in Australia where it's what we've got, you know, season A and season B. And then you've also got shows over, for example, in the US that seem to have their shows a lot more staggered around the year. And a lot of the time you do hear of competitors overseas that, that they don't aim for 100% conditioning at that first show. They aim for like 90% or 85%. And then they've got you know, two months before the next one. And, and, and that's the sort of the main event. What do you guys think in that regard? Do you think you should be aiming for hundred percent conditioning at show one? Should you be, you know, taking uh, sort of that more conservative approach? What's your thoughts, Jack, in that regard? Yeah. So I think it, it depends on what you've got planned for the season. Like some competitors might just be going for that first show and, and not waiting until nationals. And I think those individuals who, I guess we're talking about main, my answer is tailored mainly for Australia here because we have a sort of unique setup with season A and season B. But I think if nationals is like four to six weeks away, which sometimes it is, especially if you're doing like um, ICN nationals and then INBA, which is usually after, um, potentially have like a four to six week gap. And we know that sweet spot for naturals um, there's, you can only hold that peak conditioning for a finite period before you then start to uh, lose that pot per se. So 
I, I think if you are aiming to get your best look for where it matters most, which is, I guess, nationals, then or where the pro cards are earned, it kind of makes sense to, to not be at 100% for that first show. Mm. What do you think about that, DY? It, it depends, because obviously, like, what Jack's talking about is, like, the Australian shows. Like, for this season coming, like, you got the Queensland show, then two weeks after, you've got the nationals. So you could pretty much peak for the Brisbane show and in two weeks you're probably not going to get that much of a drastic change but now if you like look over at some of the shows in the UK like you'll have one show which is maybe like just a normal show that just your local and then the main one is nine weeks after so if you peak for that first show you've got to hold your condition for nine weeks which is like that's an extremely hard task to do when you're at absolutely a hundred percent so you probably in that case you wouldn't want to come in at a hundred percent that's for damn sure maybe something like 95 and then you know depending on how you look how the competition looks then you can adjust your approach um i know personally when i had my partner competing she did the uh brisbane show and then she did the wmbfs over in new york like pretty much like eight weeks after nine weeks after a first show and it is a task I'll tell you that, especially to maintain very good conditioning. That's probably one thing that we could have done, but it was hard because we kind of had two shows that we really wanted to do well at, which was the Brisbane show. And then we wanted to really do well at the, the WMBF. So we got her peaked for Brisbane and then we pretty much reversed her out and gained about two kilos for the bikini division over there because of nearly completely different criteria. But in my opinion, you got to see how, when your first show is that you want to do and when the last one is and then go from there. But anything holding condition probably for more than four weeks is going to be a task. Yeah. One thing I would sort of throw in the mix there though, is that if you're not aiming for hundred percent conditioning at a show, do you think it would be more challenging to then assess the, your, your peak week strategy leading into that show if if you're not really 100%, you know, at the end of the day. And I would almost go off, off for example, my my experience at, at Tropics versus Queensland's, like the aim was to try and get 100% at, at Tropics. And from there, you know, you learn whether the peak week protocol was correct. What could we adjust to make this better? Do I need to pull more, you know, X, Y, Z? And that then improved the, the following week's, you know, stage showing and, and this is a bad, almost a bad example because these are just a week apart. But I would almost say that if I had a show two months beforehand and I was 80% ready, I almost don't think I could really assess the efficacy of my peak week strategy because I'm almost not lean enough to potentially see the, the, the effects of higher sodium, moderate sodium, uh, higher amounts of carbs, you know, the, so on and so forth. So what, what do you guys think in that regard? That's kind of a bit of a devil's advocate kind of throwing that in in that i wasn't really talking about like changing anything in terms of the peak week strategy but more or less like in terms of how much more leaner you would actually need to get to compare to everyone else so because yeah like you said like you can't really assess the peak week strategy especially if you got like an, that extra five percent like you know to go but like more or less like you know if you come in and everyone else is way bigger than you well then you gotta you gotta bring something to the table you're gonna need to bring like some condition or something to maybe edge you over that line so then that's where you might like assess your what you're gonna bring to that final show in terms of that like well hey we've got to get really conditioned to maybe edge out and you know get a couple of points on these bigger boys Mm. yeah absolutely and just like we said like it's quite unique here in australia that the shows are all very close together right i think it's a different ball game when you've got month and months and months between for example a show in the us versus then uh the wnbf worlds which is always like at very end of the year right so depending on where you live in the us you might have to compete in a local show that's months before to in order to make it to that that worlds which is months down the track and for you to then qualify for worlds you you might want to approach that show looking 100 percent, right um so it's you know if you're aiming any for anything less and it's a qualifier then you may not essentially compete in a couple of months time sort of thing so did you have any inputs lawrence at all oh mate i think you've really rounded that out well you just have to prioritize like think about where you are in your bodybuilding journey because if you're a first timer you know you just want to kind of look the best that you can at each show and if that means you come in at 90 percent for show one then you're a bit better and a bit better as the season goes on like that's awesome because you're just trying to bring your best to stage but if you've been doing this for a few years and your priorities are winning overalls and winning a pro card like jack and tiara spoke about this on their podcast the other day like if your priority for that season is i want the card then 
it would be foolish to try and peak for the state show. You would almost want to come into that maybe 90 or 95% so that you can get your top three, your top five or whatever you need to qualify for nationals and then go there and then bring your very best. And look, I know that we all want to win always, but like in the grand scheme of things, you might have to be okay with not feeling like you are 100% at a state show so that you know you're going to be able to bring it to the national show that might be in two or three weeks. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, Can I I ask a question first? Of course, go for it. All right, so I know that we all follow Mr. Thorburn and George, who had a uh, successful outing on the weekend over in the UK. Now, the sock boys. (laughs) Are we putting the sock on? What are we doing when we're tanning? I myself, I take the, the little thong thing that they give you. I don't have the confidence to be out there, but I want to hear from you guys. Are we sock? Are we no sock? And is anything going on the top or are we just hanging it out? So you're talking about as we're getting tanned, are we are we covering the bits? Is yes, that, is, that what you is, is the piece out, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I remember when I was getting my my bottom coat, the, the woman that was doing my tan just said, hey, like roll up your jocks and I can do it like that. So I didn't really have a choice of like, no, and I wasn't going to sit there and go, no, 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 I'll just stack myself. It's cool if you do this when I'm naked. <laughs> so it, in that in that circumstance, it worked totally fine by being able to just roll my, my jocks up. But I know some guys just... I think there was some guy that walked past me, st- stood in his tent and just ripped his shorts off and just stood there with his arms out. Because <laughs> he was like, tan me. And I was like, oh, okay, this guy's confident. That's sick. But um, yeah, man, I think I'm, I'm, I'm indifferent with it. If you, if you want to get that extra layer of tan and uh, then maybe the, the sock might be beneficial. Yeah, I've, I've done both approaches. I think my first ever season, I, Alan was tanning me and I, I rocked up to his place and he, did, he, of course, didn't have any disposable G-strings there, so just whacked the sock on. It was actually the one I was wearing to, to his apartment. And uh, then my second uh, season, I just used uh, whatever they had there. I didn't quite have the confidence to whack everything off. hope it was more than just a small ankle sock. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I could just imagine imagine Jack walking down the street with one sock on or one sock off, just in thongs or something like that. Yes, what the? Now, lucky enough for me, I don't need to wear the uh, G string. I can just, since I wear trunks and uh, board shorts, I guess I get away with it. But funny story is the first time I ever was getting a tan, I was like, uh, they they split them into different rooms. So all the guys went in one room and all the girls. I was like the first one there. So I was like, all right, sweet. I was just getting my tan, sitting there in my undies. I just turned around and this guy full stark naked there. Just I was like, what the hell? It was just like the most, uh, it was the biggest shock I've ever seen. It was just sitting there, just stark naked, ready to go. Let's go. You're like, holy Jesus. It was like in some sports, like I don't know when you stopped playing football or whatever, Jack, like I stopped fairly young. So I didn't quite get into this, but like, for example, my sister's boyfriend plays, you know, football and obviously it's like with men and in there, it's like, you're almost shunned if you're not getting the pole out. Like it's like a, a rite of passage, like all the boys hop in the shower, everyone's naked. Like that's just what you do. And you, you don't try cover up. You just, you know, everyone's all about it. So it's a bit weird. Hey. Yeah. But no, I was just wanting to get your take on the, uh, the side sock shots that we saw, but uh, mm, I think uploading them is a different thing altogether mm, on the ground. Mm. I do agree. Yeah. Cause it, it does draw the eye somewhat. <laughs> At first, when you mention this, I'm thinking, do you mean putting a sock in your, in your trunks when you're up on stage? Is that, is that what you were oh. talking about? Cause I never saw this photo. So I was like, well, oh, okay. that's a given, isn't it? Are we all doing that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, mate, speaking of uh, Jack Thornburn, I saw that there were quite a few shows over in the UK uh, over the weekend. I think there was the UK DFBA, if I said that correctly. <laughs> also the uh, the BNBF, and it was people like George, uh, George Osborne, Jack Thornburn, I think jo- uh, Josh Conde competed in the BNBF, some of the guys that I follow. But um, what caught my attention most was the, the, the 40 sushi rolls deep that Jack Thornburn was eating post post show <laughs> and i thought it was hilarious so i just wanted to get your take what was sort of the first restaurant meal or the f- first meal that you guys was your sort of go-to post show last season yeah well i are we speaking about within the season or like after the season finished after the season yeah okay yeah because i i kind of just stuck to my normal meals uh within the season and after season i i didn't actually partake in any restaurant food i i'm the sort of person who i'd rather 
buy everything from from Woolies and then create whatever I've been desiring myself. And uh, I literally rocked up to Woolies um, the day after uh, the day after Sydney, and then uh, I I bought like a huge shopping cart. I think I spent like two hundred and fifty dollars uh, on just the food for the next day. And then I'm sure many many of the listeners might have actually seen my cheat day video on YouTube. And that was and just the cream of wheat, that two <laughs> Just the cream of wheat, yeah. <laughs> and olive oil. That's it. <laughs> and uh, Milo smoothies as well. Uh, but no, I um I planned out like a, a four or five meals, and I think by the end of meal two, I was done. Like I, I could only have like a couple bites from the other meals because my my stomach was just not used to that much food, and and the the delicacy of the food as well. So it was a good good time though, and I think. I personally like that approach post-show for myself. It's not for everyone, but it, it gives me a taste of everything. I, I satisfy that sweet tooth post-show and then I'm, I'm ready to, to get amongst the, the rest of the recovery phase. For sure. What about you, Lawrence? What was your go-to meal? Well, last prep was a little bit different because the season got ended quite abruptly. So my competition season ended quite anticlimactically on a Tuesday evening because the, there had been like an outbreak in Adelaide and all the borders were getting shut again. So for that whole week, I don't actually think I did anything. I just followed my normal diet and I happened to have my best mates 21st that Friday. So Joey basically said, you know what, mate, like it's all the same to you and it's just a normal week. Just keep eating your normal food and then have dinner out with your friends as like your post-show meal. And that was at a restaurant in Brisbane called Chew the Fat. Have ever you boys been there? Yeah, 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 is nodding. Yeah, it's very good. I haven't. Yeah, it's like Asian fusion food. It was pretty good. We had like a banquet and it was it was pretty awesome. But um, oh, and that night, the waitress there recognized me from the show and she asked me for a photo. So as you can imagine, I was absolutely on cloud nine. But um, yeah, and then I think you know, the week following, we went to like an Italian joint with the family. That would probably always be my go-to. Like pizza is probably my favorite food. So I think that's always gonna be the one. I don't know how, mate, like 40 or whatever, 50 sushi rolls. Like, that's a lot of food. I'm impressed you got it down. Well, post-comp, I feel like you could. Like, when the hunger levels are, like, extremely high, I feel like you could go through 40 sushi rolls like nothing. I wonder how much you paid for it just quietly. Mm. Like, was that, like, 100 bucks worth of sushi? At least, yeah, I would, I would yeah. say. Yeah. And it didn't exactly look like it was, you know, sushi train on the corner of the petrol station. Like, it looked pretty nice. Only the best for Mr. Thorburn. What about you, D.Y.? What was your go-to? My first meal post-show would have been at Momo's Chicken and Beer. So it's like a fried chicken place. So went there, got some like fried chicken and chips. And that was probably the first meal I had. That was right after I had my photo shoot because I had the photo shoot the, the day after the Brisbane, uh, yeah, the Brisbane show. And then, I oh, don't know, I can't remember the rest of the meals. I went through too many. <laughs> didn't you guys have that like big, didn't you go back to yours and you had like a big block of, nonsense yeah, yeah 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 we, yeah, we did we, photo. i think you showed me a photo of this thing in your fridge yeah it, it was crazy it was like uh nick navitas hooked us up with like one of those uh chocolate blocks that were just like huge like it was crazy i think it was like five kilos of like a chocolate brownie pretty much it was crazy my plan was to go out to a restaurant after the show but the thing is the uh since the show got pushed back so much and i had one of my girls in the overall division we weren't actually able to make the reservation. So we kind of had everyone back to mine, but then there were so many things that were closed on like a Sunday night that we couldn't really get any food. So we kind of just had like pizza. I wouldn't really call it like my first good meal out. It was just like just some pizza at my house and a chocolate block, but that was about it. But the day after we did have the, uh, that was my first restaurant I went to, I guess was that Momo's chicken and beer. Mm. And I was quite similar to Jack, Jack Thornburn. Um, had the uh the sushi i can't say i had 40 rolls however but it was um it was a, it was a good fee that's for sure yeah what, what, <laughs> yeah. what are your thoughts on eating out like in the season so i know some competitors for example they might have a state show lined up and then a couple of weeks later they've got a national show and sometimes you see these competitors out at a restaurant you know eating out and they're still they're still well and truly in their season and they've got a national show to go what do you guys think in that regards? Mm. Yeah. Look, I think it probably depends a lot on the personality. Like I think you have certain people 
who that would just completely throw them off from like a psychological perspective. You know, they have one evening where the coach says, okay, I want you to go to grilled, have a burger and chips and a Pepsi Max, and then that'll be it. Or, you know, that can then turn into, oh, I've had a little bit of, you know, off-plan food at the restaurant. I might as well have a nibble of something at home, which could then maybe turn into like an all-out feast. But, you know, I know that BK's approach for a while, wasn't it like go to a restaurant and have like a, a steak and veggies or something like that like uh, i heard some of his boys would do or maybe that was the hold your own boys they would always do like a steak and veggies the hold your own boys yeah because i think yeah both myself and b are pretty pretty much of the of the state of mind that like your season's not finished yet right so mm, mm. it's you're not you know like, yeah it's it's a tough one because obviously you want someone to be able to celebrate their show but you know i would say you're not you're not done yet you've still got a couple of weeks to go and surely you can hold out a couple of weeks to finish your season off as best as you can as opposed to throw into it a potential meal that has unaccounted for calories and macronutrients when you've just spent, you know, 25, 30 weeks of being hundred percent precise. So yeah, I'm, I'm probably of a different mindset to perhaps some individuals. I'm sort of like, Nope, it's a, it's, it's more of a no go zone, but some individuals like, Hey, just have a steak, you know, condiments on the side, vegetables, that sort of thing. Mm. yeah for for me i like after the show i'll give them like a calorie thing depending on what client it is like you know if someone really needs to bring it in i go hey like listen like you're not getting a meal out but what i would normally do is i'll give them like a calorie budget i might be like all right we've finished up the show go home for the rest of the day you've got 80 carb 25 fat and like 50 protein i'm like if you really want to go to let's say only grilled that's kind of like the only place i'll allow i'm like you can use your macros there but me personally, I would go home and probably make a big bowl of oats, like, you know, maybe have some fruit or something like that. And I would leave it there. 90% of my clients would do that. Like, you know, if they really do want to go out, I guess you can get what one grilled burger. It's like, in my opinion, you would always go home and like have, but I always give them a budget. It's not like, Hey, you can go to grilled and get whatever you want post this show. It's like, Hey, like you're going to have to, you eat there. You pretty much get a straight chicken burger and you got to, track it as 1.2 times tax. So, you know, you're losing 20% of your food or you could go home and cook a big bowl of oats and, you know, be happy, but it depends on the client. Some people, I won't even give them that. I just like, listen, like 50 protein, like 10 carb, 10 fat. No, nah, but it, it depends. But I think it also uh, really um, is, is context dependent on, I guess, what, what your peak day nutrition has looked like leading into that show as well. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if you really had to drive carbs up to a point of being in a hypercaloric state, it's, it may not be advantageous at that point in time to further promote more caloric intake by a restaurant meal post post show. So yeah. especially if someone has had to consume 500, 600 carb or something like that on the day to really fill out, it's probably not ideal to then say, Hey, go out and have a grilled meal. It'll be fine. Just track it 1.2 times, you know, tax sort of thing. Yeah. Anyway, that's just me thinking of it in a very critical mind, but obviously everyone's a little bit different in that regard. When you, when you offer them a budget of whatever they want, they well, like when you give them the macros, a lot of them don't actually end up going to grill. They're like, why would I do that when I can have a bowl the size of my head of oats? Mm-hmm. But um, when I was up at Townsville, Joe offered me to go to grilled with him after with all the guys. And he just said like, here, have like a chicken burger and a small chips. So, hey, I did what coach said. But me personally, I probably would have rather gone home and had oats by myself. For sure. Well, Kate had a burger, didn't she, Jack? Like after the the Queensland show, she went to a burger joint, which I was a little bit surprised with in the sense that like, you know, Tierra is very regimented and I would have just expected her to say like, nope, straight back on the plan. Um, Mm. But is that something you would do with any of your clients? No, I personally wouldn't. I'm of the same mind of of DC. I think if the the season's not done, then uh, like... I think most clients or sorry, most competitors would feel more comfortable like DY said to make their own food and kind of, they know what to expect and they would rather have more volume for, for the same amount of calories. But I don't really want to comment on what, what Tierra said to Kate, because I don't know the full uh, lowdown of it, but I think Kate had a, had a enormous weekend of like doing the IFBB show and then having to come the next day to Brisbane. So I think she was in a huge deficit um, would have been my uh, reasoning, I think. I think it also depends on like the amount of shows and how long you've got, like, let's say if Jack's going to do the WMBF worlds, like Jack Dorburn, 
if you're looking at the dates right now, there's pretty much three months to go. So like, you know, he might be able to down 40 sushi rolls. And when you're thinking of another 12 weeks in prep, that's a long time that you can then refine and, you know, make some adjustments. Now, when you're talking one week, like what me and DC had between the Townsville to the Brisbane show, like you've got very little room to fix up what you might do there. Yeah, no, that's, that's completely, that's completely on the money in that regard. All right, boys, Leading into get... the first show, would any of you guys like at, at any point during prep, like say you're 25 weeks out and you know it's your dad's birthday and they're like, oh, we're going out to a, a dinner. Would you order something off the menu that you could easily track or as soon as it's prep, is it only food that you've prepped is going in your mouth? I would say in my case, only, only food that I've prepped, yeah. Same here. I think because I just want to, I just want to create that mindset within myself that I'm 100% precise with my nutrition and everything is for it is everything is accounted for and i think it's maybe also that sort of perfectionist mindset in the sense that when i finish the season i don't want to think back to any occasions where i probably could have been more precise with my nutrition and particularly if i had then therefore an unfavorable outcome in my season i don't want to be in a position where i yeah i could think back and go yeah i probably could have done better at these occasions i'd rather just set my my mental state up to i'm in prep this is this is my choice to be on this journey and I'm only going to be on this journey if I'm putting hundred percent into it. Mm. Yeah. I no, no meals were no takeaway, nothing like that. Everything's got to be made by me. Can't even trust Alana, you know, <laughs> you'd be in the same though, Lawrence. Uh, no, 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 not necessarily. Okay. Like in my last prep, there were probably a few occasions where like went out to dinner, maybe had grilled, maybe like went to a restaurant and ordered literally like, okay, I'm going to have this chicken breast meal, no sauce, just the veggies on the side, nothing else. And, you know, like I, I almost think like if you can, you know, we've all been doing this long enough. And like, if I look at that plate and I'm like, there is no way that this can be over this and this and that in a carbs and a fats perspective, it's at least going to have this much protein. And then of course, like DY alluded to, like, you know, you maybe times it all by 1.25 to give yourself a buffer. Like, I think, you know, when you're 20 weeks out, I just can't see how that would make a big difference. And it's been like, even if you look at someone like Eric Helms, like the way he approached his last prep where he was very flexible in that way and he still well, got down Alberto to... Nunez this time as well. I mean, look at Birdo. Like, does he even track anything? Who knows? Yeah. He's just, uh, he's that... In <laughs> and like, look, I'm not saying that I'm on that level of, you know, being in tune with my body, but like, I think there is a point where that stuff is fine. And I think if that allows you to make prep a little bit more sustainable for you, but more so for the people around you. Because look, if it if I had it my way, you know, it would just be locked down, only what I eat. But I think that being able to do that stuff for the people around you is pretty important. And obviously there's going to come a point where you get rid of all of that stuff, you know, 10, 12 weeks out when it really is time to put the hammer down. But I think early on, I think that stuff is fine as long as you are accounting for it appropriately. And if anything, giving yourself a bit of a buffer and as long as you're okay with doing that from a psychological perspective and you can still stay on track, then yeah, I don't see the issue. I guess if you've got that sort of nutritional literacy and you're intuitive enough, you could make those sort of mindful decisions. Absolutely. Yeah. Like you said, you look at some of the 3DMJ guys and obviously they've been in the game for a long time and perhaps they've probably changed the way that they approach their preps over the years. I think someone like the Godfather you know, you think about his first initial preps with the first maybe 10 years of his competing, a lot different to what it looks like now where the guy was, you know, going out on family vacations and training with a water bottle, you know, things like that, which a lot of people would be like, no, 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 I'm not going to train with anything other than what I can in the gym because I'm going to lose tissue. Whereas, and, and obviously for, for some of us, we had to do that within lockdown, but to voluntarily choose to do that in a prep, to train with a water bottle, when you could train with gym equipment, it's a sacrifice. It is a sacrifice, but I think if you're intuitive enough within how to train, you can adopt a strategy and around it. And I think the same thing applies in terms of your nutrition. 
do you ever remember about two years ago when everyone was like eating grilled in their prep? It was like, you know, it wasn't that big of a thing. Like everyone was kind of like having grilled in their prep. And next thing you know, grilled must have updated their like nutrition label online. And you see everyone's been tracking it at like 50% of what it truly was. They must've gotten audited or something like that. And then their burgers went from like eight fat to then like 23 fat. And like all their chips were like double the macros of what they originally have. They must've got caught out or something. And you see everyone just not eating it anymore. They go there and they're eating the chicken breast the seedless bloody no buns or whatever it was yeah yeah exactly right you're probably aware of that that study that came out a while ago and it looked at the um the comparison between calliometry and the, the like a website's uh nutritional information in terms of what what was actually the difference between the two i must i'll bring up this this study at some point within the the coming podcast but yeah, just really interesting that some restaurant items on this particular study looked at it being at, at double the caloric value of actually what was stated on the website. So mm-hmm. I guess that's another thing is that if you are relying upon some nutritional data, that's not your that's not referenced of some sort. Um, there's always that, that that potentiation for inaccuracies within that. Yeah, and look, I think you know on what I said earlier, like don't go to a restaurant and be like, yeah, I'm going to get the carbonara and I'm just going to ballpark it. Like there, you're just asking to, to overeat and to, to go over your calories, like get something as plain and as boring as you possibly can, like steamed veggies and a piece of grass of water, a glass of water, some ice chips on the side, you know, you're out there, you still take it. No, I'm just kidding. But <laughs> yeah, make it simple. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's move on boys. Uh, next, next topic. Do you think competitors are negatively affected by tattoos in terms of their stage placings? What do you guys think? I think it depends on the tanning product used. I think Dream Tan covers a lot of stuff up, but some of the stuff, for example, used in the UK, I think it's a bit thinner. It doesn't, it's just not as dense. Um, Even some of the stuff they use at, at nationals from what I've seen, it doesn't, it's not as thick as Dream Tan. So I think the short answer is yes. Like if you've got a massive tattoo covering your whole back, it probably will affect you, but something on your forearm or your ankle or your calf, it's unlikely to. Another thing is it also depends on the federation. I know like WBFF is obviously like very presentation focused and similar with like IFBB bikini. So if you've got like full blown arms, leg sleeves and stuff like that, and it is going to take away from the physique, then yeah, it's probably going to be detrimental and probably going to cause some issues in terms of your placing. But a majority of the time, you shouldn't have too much of an issue, especially if they're like little tattoos, like what Jack said. Uh, you can also get like a certain mud. I can't remember what it was, but like it pretty much like hides your tattoo altogether. So you can put it uh, underneath and then get the tan on top of it. But like it's, you also need to check as well, because like if you have it like where it is in the WBFF, where they have their own tanning, like, you know, if you're going to put on some mud underneath, and then get their tan on top, they might be like, well, hey, this guy, you know, hasn't gotten this approved or something along the lines of that. So you need to check with your federation and so on like that. Yeah, absolutely. What about you, Lawrence? Anything to uh, to input there? Yeah, look, once again, it's probably a bit dependent on like the body part as well. Like a little little tattoo somewhere where you're not looking for a whole lot of detail is probably going to affect you less than, you know, something that covers a really sort of broad area where maybe some of the slight changes to the skin texture could actually affect any detail coming through. But look, I think it's going to be one of those things as well. Like if your tattoos are important to you, then it's like, well, you're just going to have to accept that. Like it's a decision you've made and, and don't like, if there's bigger things to you than bodybuilding then like, you know, who cares? Just get it anyway. But do you, any of you guys have tattoos? No, no, I don't think so. No. Any plans for any? No, mm. I wouldn't know what to get, to be, to be fair. Yeah, no idea. Okay. Yeah. Not a BK conditioning tattoo? No. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, I'm all for BK conditioning for sure. But I'm just, I'm not a huge, huge, huge fan myself of tattoos mm. on myself. On other people, absolutely. I think tattoos look awesome, particularly depending on what, which ones you get. But for me, I've, I've never been, yeah, I, maybe I've just never been passionate about something so much that it's, I want to put it on my physique, I guess. Yeah, DY's got an Audi tattoo, I think. <laughs> like a little tramp stamp, like with like the little Audi rings down there. <laughs> All 
All right, boys, let's move on to the uh, the next topic. And this was another a Q&A, which came across as, do you guys think that too many people are worried about your genetic limits when it comes to bodybuilding? Well, you go, do you want? I don't think nearly, I, I, I would probably say 1% of the bodybuilding community will probably ever reach their true genetic potential. Like to be actually even thought about, like, I know even DC, like, you know, you probably have like an extra 10, 20% of untapped potential there and you've got an extremely developed physique. So I don't know, would you ever really be worried about the genetic limit? Like, like I said, like not many people are truly going to reach it unless you're at that top, top echelon. I, I interpret this question differently. I interpret it as, uh, do do you think people are worried about their genetic limit being crap? As in like they, oh, I might as well go enhanced because I can't make any gains as a natty anyway. That's kind of how I interpret it. Well, yeah, well I mean, if you've, if you've got such poor genetics that you're not making improvements across the board, then it's probably also going to translate within the natural, the unnatural and untested federation as well, right? Because the guys mm. that are stepping up there on the Olympia stage they're 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 genetic freaks as well right so don't think it helps you either, either side of the spectrum but i think i think being really uh limited in the sense of like you limit your mind because you think you're limited in real in regards to your genetics it's just a really way to sort of out, like downplay your efforts like it i think if you're constantly approaching everything with a limit to it then 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 surely i don't think you're going to make the most out of it so yeah, I don't think people should be too worried about their genetic limits when it comes to bodybuilding because, yeah, I guarantee you, you, you can still make progress in some in some way for sure. Yeah, just don't like, put, you don't give yourself the opportunity to like put the shackles on, I think is, is a good way of putting it. Like, like you were saying, DC, like people sort of reserve themselves because they don't think they can do something. But I think, you know, a lot of us are probably doing stuff in the gym that, we maybe never thought that we'd be able to do. And now we've set even bigger goals. And maybe there is a small part of us that even sort of thinks, oh, we're probably never going to get there. But, you know, we've proven ourselves wrong before. So, you know, don't settle for mediocrity just because you think it's what you're capable of. Just like, just keep pushing, just keep showing up and putting the effort in and, you know, just let the chips fall where they may. And ultimately, like, I don't know. I find the whole like genetic limit thing a bit confusing because like, how do you know, like you could look at someone like Babakani Yang, you know, arguably he's going to go down as one of the most impressive natural physiques you've ever seen. But can anyone say for certain that if he had approached something in a different way, he couldn't have been better? Like we're never going to know that. So I almost don't really understand like this whole genetic limit thing, because like everyone could find a way to get better up until the point where your body just becomes too old and then you just start like decaying essentially um so i don't know i just don't think like, it's not something you should worry about just train as hard as you can put in as much effort as you can and the results will show absolutely yeah what do you think jack yeah i agree it's it's something that's not in your control so there's there's no point worrying about it and i often reference like genetics as a bit of a joke like i say some people have benefits over others but like i for me like i just continue training my hardest anyway like it's not within my nature to kind of downplay myself just because I have a genetic limit like I'm still going to give it my all regardless and I think that's what everyone should do absolutely yeah I mean it's a no-brainer that that our genetics does play a role in our sport right at the end of the day that's it's it's just a given but yeah it it shouldn't be so much that it detriments you and, and your mindset towards progression I don't know about you boys but do you think I could make the uh the NBA the NBA league? What do you think? Basketball league, surely. I don't know, mate. You're, you're zippy. Like, I reckon you could be a real pest on defense, just really getting up in LeBron's face, just, you know. Mate, I'd say the the, the, the highest I've ever jumped is stepping over a barbell. That's, <laughs> that's about it, <laughs> to be honest. But um, all right, let's move on to the next topic here. And I wanted to know what's in your gym bag. So, in more so the sense that are there any particular accessories or items that you guys have collected over the years, whether it be wrist straps, um, knee sleeves, anything like that, that you guys just really love that you think is like almost as a gem and has really made a difference to your training. Let's start with you, Lawrence. Man, my gym bag is, it's too big. Like I hate it, <laughs> but 
but it's the power <laughs> subs gym bag, right? Yeah. It, it, funny you mentioned that, Jack. It is a power subs gym bag, which you can of course get from power subs, use code general. Um, but if I had to narrow it down to like the must-haves, I think Versa grips are probably my biggest one. Like they're so versatile, they're so convenient, and like they really do help you lift. So grab yourself why, why some would Versa you, grips. Why would you rate Versa grips over standard straps? I think depending on the movement, they're a lot more efficient. Like if it's something like an RDL or an SLDL or like a deadlift or even certain rows, yes, I'll use the figure eight straps because you basically want to be unable to let go of the bar. But if you just want a little bit of assistance with the grip, but it doesn't necessarily need to lock you in place, like some, you know, machine rows and stuff like that, then I think they're a little bit more convenient because you're not having to, you know, perform like a Houdini rope escape just to get out of the handle. So I think they're a bit more convenient, but I, I use both. Um, other than that, though, like, do we count like a logbook? Because I think that's essential. Um, some micro plates. If your gym has pieces that are, are really tough, my mate bought me some sort of as a bit of a joke, but I actually do use them. So they're pretty good. And other than that, like there's stuff I wish I had in my gym bag. For example, like I'd love to have a seat belt. I think that Josh Bridgman at 1MR is coming out with some soon and I'm probably going to try to get one from him. And like little things like, you know, even having like your own D handles or like spare carabiners, stuff like that. Just things that might go missing at gyms that you don't want to have to walk across the gym to find. I think mm -hmm. anything like that's pretty handy. Yeah, it's funny you say that because I've got, I've got some carabiners sitting in my gym gym bag um and that's just from training at gyms where some i don't know who goes in there and steals the carabiners it's ridiculous like you can buy these for like 20 cents at bunnings i don't know what is your issue but mountaineers mate they just come through and yeah, grab them all it's yeah, unbelievable yeah, yeah exactly but um yes i've actually there's been times where i've had wd-40 in my bag as well because there's been cable machines that have just been the most rigid things when you're trying to work off it. And I'm like, mate, I'm just going to bring my own WD-40 to this gym and lubricate the friggin', the friggin' cable. But um, I would be similar to you, Lawrence. I've had, um, I use the, the Versa grips and I also use the uh, Iron Mine wrist wraps, which you have Jack mm. as well. Yeah, they're great. They're, they're awesome. It's like a nylon or nylon type material, isn't it? Something along those lines. Mm. And I've had mine for, I think you've had yours for longer than me, but I've had mine for many years and there's no sign of wear or tear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've had mine, oh God, probably back. I would have had it back in university days, which would have been like 20, 20 years ago, 2014 or something like that. Yeah. So I've had them forever and they're perfect condition. Yeah. Um, something like All right, that. Settle down, boys. They're not paying us. This is, uh... <laughs> I'm just hoping that this podcast gets out to them. Oh, yeah. could you imagine? But uh, yes, that's I'm probably similar similar to you boys in terms of what what I've got in the gym bag. What about you, Dy? Anything uh, anything incredible that is you think has changed your training? Uh, well, I've definitely got a list that's very very long, but I'm going to try and figure out. So in prep, I used to carry three sets of headphones, probably a little overkill, two sets at least, one set wireless, and then one set corded, just in case you know you're in prep and that one headset dies and you got to get amped up for deadlifts or something. So that was probably one of the game changes for prep. Uh, figure eight wrist wraps and liquid chalk would probably be another two if I had to list three. No, you don't got the sniffing salts in there. I don't have them in there and that's because I have to limit the amount of sets. So they're not useful for every single workout where lifting chalk, I believe is used in every single workout. Awesome. Yeah. I'm pretty similar to you guys. I, I think the only difference for me that you guys didn't mention was uh, knee, not knee wraps, knee sleeves. I, I've re recently purchased them and I have had like a, a little bit of a knee niggle for like the past year. And since using those, I don't, it could just be a placebo effect, but honestly, the knee has been pretty decent within the session. I don't get much discomfort within the session, even if it's just like a um, proprioception thing, like it takes my mind away from the knee. And other than that, definitely straps. I probably use straps for every session other than my push session. And number three would, would probably be headphones. What would the, what's the brand of knee sleeves that you use? They are the, oh, wow. It is, it's the most popular. SBD. Brand. SBD, yeah. 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 So 
Yeah, I actually found them really effective as well. I ran the SPD knee sleeves for like hack squats and like a barbell back squat. And it literally takes away like any pain and niggles you have. Mm. But I don't know if that's good or if that's a bad thing, because I guess technically you may be masking an issue. But yeah, I had them. I ran them for about a year and a half. And then I just took them away one day. and It was all good to go. Do you find they help? Yeah, there's a... I mean, they definitely don't ha- help for knee flexion work, like uh, hamstring stuff, because it kind of opposes yeah. the line of resistance. But definitely for all quad-based work, I, I, I keep them on until I get to my leg curls, which is sometimes like a full hour and a bit. Um, and I definitely get some good blood flow restriction from them as well. Squat shoes as well. Mm. And in terms of like what you pay and then compare that to how long they last. Like Pascal was talking about it on the Revive Stronger podcast recently. Like he worked out, you know, like for how long he's had the shoes, a dollar, like, you know, how many dollars per day or whatever. And it's a joke. Cause you know, you're wearing them what twice a week in an aircon indoor facility. Like they're going to last you forever. So they are a pricey when you buy them, but I think they're a great investment. Yeah, absolutely. What's your go-to shoe? Well, I've always, I mean, I've only ever had one pair. So I think mine are the Nike Romello twos, I believe. I think they're probably up to like the fours or the fives by now, but mine are still kicking on. Very, very comfortable. Like definitely helps me for like squatting and leg pressing type movements. So no, I I definitely always have them with me on a leg day. Mm, Yeah, I've got the Romellos too as well. And I've also got the, I think it's the Addy Power or the the Adidas ones, the the white and, and with the stripes of the black on the side. I can't remember the exact exact model, but they're quite different. The the Romalios have quite like a large dude, uh, toe box. Like they're quite wide and they're a lot heavier as well. Um, I almost prefer one for, for one movement and one for the other, to be honest, but they're both fantastic shoes. Awesome boys. And I sort of wanted to wrap this up with the last question here in, in some almost like a similar similar topic here but what about gym attire so are there any particular brands that you just love love to stick with particularly when it comes to things like you know squat squat shorts or shorts that aren't going to absolutely explode when you sit down the bottom of a squat what are some of the uh the attire that you kind of always go back to in terms of gym attire yeah so i'm i'm a bit of a g pass like i have always bought from or probably for the last five years i bought from like kmart and target and uh, I probably in the last year, I've stopped doing that purely because it, as soon as I get to like uh, like 88 kilos and above, like I, it's okay in prep because like my legs are smaller, but once I get a bit heavier, as soon as I go into a squat pattern, they do split. Um, and therefore I've, I've started using mainly rider wear now for the, for the shorts and yeah, an, an assortment of different tops. But right away would probably be my go-to. Do you have a discount about- code? I don't, in fact. And what about you, Lawrence? What about gym attire? What's uh, what's your go-to? Oh, look, I mean, as you guys know, I, I pick things that are five sizes too big for me. So ripping of garments is never much of an issue. Like when I ran out of gym shorts a while back, I just went into Rebel Sport and picked up some and one basketball shorts. Like I just like loose-fitting clothes. I just want maximal comfort. And of course, you know, like they're at knee height, so they're nice and baggy and they're not going to split or anything like that. I think I've got a pair of like New Balance or Asics shorter shorts, like running shorts, which are pretty good. And then I have uh, some Under Armour, like compression long sleeve leggings, which I'll break out on a leg day as well. The absolute key though is like, if you're going to go the leggings, well, actually, do you guys go shorts over the leggings? Because I don't, but you have to have the long shirt. That's, that's very important. I think DC, you rock the leggings, don't you? Yeah, I rock the leggings. Yeah. So um, I agree though. You, you should definitely wear a long, a long, a long shirt. No one wants to see that shit. <laughs> yeah. So yes, yes. The, the long shirt, the long shirt for sure. What it's about funny you? you it's funny you say that. Cause I like bought a pair of like those Nike ones a while ago and I was always torn up. I'm like, do I wear shorts over this or do I not? And then, so I, I never really worn them ever since they were like, I tried them once. I wasn't the biggest fan of them, but I would give them to one of you boys, but they're probably about three sizes too small, but the uh, active wear that I normally wear is pretty much like Nike. So I guess all my t-shirts, I think are like Jordan t-shirts or something like that. So normally the Nike tee 
and shorts are just like their standard, I guess, Nike pants. They're not like the running pants though. Now, if I did, if I had to give like the ultimate, I think gym shorts that I like the most would probably be like the Lululemons. They kind of have like a built-in, like uh, like a mesh pants underneath it. They're just super comfy and they're squat proof. I used to be a man of Adidas, but after you tear so many of their Chelsea shorts doing squats, you have to kind of uh, shy away from them a little bit. Yeah, I almost think you you learn through a, a, like a trial and error process, isn't it? You buy a new pair of shorts, you're two sessions into a squat squat set, and you just absolutely tear them a new one. And it's like, all right, I'm not I'm not going back to these ever again. And I've definitely done that multiple occasions with multiple pairs of shorts. So. I've actually ended up defaulting to the Lululemon ones, just like you mentioned. And I'd say most of my stuff nowadays is Lululemon. I feel like as a male, uh, it's not really seen as a brand that is for males. You know, it's often often portrayed as as more towards the female demographic. But I guarantee you, they're they're like they've got awesome clothes there for men. And I guarantee you'll never rip a pair of shorts of those for sure. So um... the female Pilates, I guess, brand pulls through for the boys. <laughs> 100%. All right, boys, I think that's pretty much where we're at. Did you guys have anything else to add? No, sir. No, that's it. Yeah. All right, guys. So that wraps up another episode of the Bodybuilding Down Under podcast. Thanks again for joining us today. If you love today's episode, remember to give us a subscribe and an awesome review. And we will certainly see you again in the next episode. Peace. <laughs>